Hey everyone, and we are live with another episode of Punch Card Investing. Always happy to have everyone joining us. Um, I've been told that the uh, for those of you who tune in live, the ad runs for a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and and wait uh, about ten seconds before I really start diving into today's uh, <laughs> intro. And there we have a bunch <laughs> of people just join the show. So uh, for those of you who've been complaining, I've heard your complaints. I'm going to try to slow down the intro a little bit, slow play it, uh, so you don't miss anything out, <laughs> miss anything uh, if you, you show up right at You don't want to miss any of Jack's time. intro here. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's a key part of the show. Pure um, gold. Because that's is... when I tell you to smash the like button, to subscribe, <laughs> and, and check out all the stuff in the description, including the Discord. We also have our beautiful link to share site where you can track your portfolio you can open up a free account there or if you use a paid account use our link below you get some free months uh, and we get an affiliate commission there too so you're going towards helping the channel as well which is always a great thing speaking of which before we dive into today's topic i want to definitely take a look at um, alibaba given its uh, precipitous decline <laughs> as, as well as uh, facebook which have both just continued to hit new um I don't want to say new all time. They're definitely not all time lows, but new new recent lows for sure. Uh, well off their all time highs, um, and, and see if maybe the game has changed for either, uh, or if this is just Mr. Market acting up. Um, since there's plenty to talk about with either of the companies because they're so huge, being Baba and Facebook, and then there's plenty of other stuff to talk about as well. And we'll try to get your get to your questions as well. Um, and we should be uh, having Karan join us as well in just a moment so stay tuned for that uh, tom is out looking for a house and, and this is his one time of the week where he goes and does that with um so we we are rooting for tom to get that house <laughs> so so that he can get his saturdays back um <laughs> anyways let's take a look at the punch card portfolio just because it's kind of hilarious and uh we're all feeling the pain together we're we started off with a million dollars in portfolio value uh back in i think october and we are <laughs> we are down uh 21 percent since since then uh baba just leading the way <laughs> down 47 percent um Seridage had was leading leading the losers for a while, but is uh, all the way back up to a negative twenty five percent run, which is uh, which is good for them. And uh, yes. as per usual, KPG just pulling pulling ahead, or not even pulling ahead, ahead, just just yes, staying cementing <laughs> itself as the rest fall behind. I think that's the better way to put it. <laughs> um, so uh, that's going on with the punch card portfolio. Um, man, should we have a vote if Kron's on? Uh, we can do our vote. Uh, I guess if the three of us vote to add a stock to the portfolio, AKA Facebook, I know we've been talking about possibly doing that as, as the stock keep, continues to fall. Uh, maybe we could do that later on this episode. We can, we can decide on that. Um, Cause if we get three out of five people to vote, to add a new holding, then we kick the vote out to you all, to you, all you lovely people on our community uh, posts. And you can vote for which stock gets booted out of the portfolio. So it'd be one of these, one of these five in totality. Uh, and it would just be the, um, I guess we'll do plurality votes um, rather than a majority. Cause that, that would get messy. You'd have to have revotes and everything. So the plurality would be uh, what gets kicked out. So it'd be nice and dramatic when that time comes. Uh, so definitely subscribe. So don't miss that. <laughs> um sandeep says we've beat arc so uh, there's something there so <laughs> uh, there's a method to the madness i suppose as long as you're not the biggest loser that's what really matters <laughs> risk adjusted losses when did you say we started the portfolio i'm surprised alibaba's down 47 percent in just a few months i think yeah, since I... october 29th 
Oh, there it is right there. Yeah, that's crazy. October 29th. Yeah, it's cra- it is crazy. Because it was already down, what's our cost basis? Around uh, 130-ish? Um, whatever that is whatever that equates to it was already down a bit from like where charlie munger bought it um <laughs> the first time around i should say um yeah it hasn't been it hasn't been too fun especially compared to s&p during that time down only eight and a half percent hey but that's the name of the game when you're a, got a concentrated portfolio you're gonna have to sit through some volatility and that if you can sit through these rough times you, you get ideally much prettier prettier times at the other end um it's the name of the game yeah, if only we had more upside volatility like uh, Frank the Tank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need like two more of those. And then if we bat 60% rather than a, a 20%, yeah, we'd, we'd be uh, we'd be in really good shape. That's okay. We're, we're going to sit tight here. Give it time. We're only at like six months. <laughs> so not even. Um, oh, one more thing. It's a big announcement, guys, if you haven't seen. Our, our very own Brad Kellner, the stock compounder, started his own newsletter. Uh, he just announced it on Twitter. I Let me share that as well. But go ahead and check out Brad's Twitter right here. You can join his Friday green pitch. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for this, Brad. We, we got another newsletter in the mix uh, of the, the punch card crew. Uh, Frank, you've been doing yours for a little while. Um, so yeah, this is ex- exciting stuff. Congrats, and everyone Thank go check you. out Brad's uh newsletter. Thank you. Thank you very much. Should we attack a few questions before we kind of go into the topic for today? Yeah, sure. Let's let's, in, let's invert, let's do some invert. more questions up front <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> rather than uh, any catch your eye, Brad. Um, hmm. should we start with Baba focused stuff or or Facebook focused first? I probably Baba. Sure. Where's the Baba questions? I don't know if there's any specifically for Alibaba. All right, we could do some non non specific questions. Jesse has a few here at the top that are some kind of quick hitting ones. Maybe uh yeah. yes for favorite CEO. We did that Capital Allocators um, uh, episode a while back. And the favorite CEO that comes to mind? <laughs> Zuck. <laughs> <laughs> he is our background again. I really do like Brett Kelly for an off the kind of beaten path kind of one for a micro cap, I guess. Um, but it's hard to go past like Buffett or someone. When you really think about it that way, Buffett yeah. is obviously, if I had to pick someone, that's the guy. He's just a bit old. You just have a level of comfort um, <laughs> uh, knowing that he's at the helm. It's like it, 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 he's not going to do anything reckless. He's probably going to be right most of the time or enough of the time that it creates outsized returns. Uh, so, yeah. But actually, Pony Ma is another one that I think is one of the best capital allocators in the world. And he's a bit younger, so maybe that's a better pick. How old is he? Yeah. He's probably in his fifties, I would think. Actually, I have no idea, but he doesn't look okay. old, so. Right. <laughs> he, he looks. Actually, he's, he started the company. He'd be like mid forties because he started the company in his early twenties, and that was about gotcha. twenty years ago now. So. Yep. Yep. Close to fifty. Cool. Brad, any come to mind for you? Um. 
Yeah, I mean, Buffett, Pony Ma are, are great answers. Um, I remember, for some reason, I remember Chamath <laughs> answering this question. <laughs> and he ripped off uh, the answers he gave. Bezos, um, Lutke of Shopify. Um, who's the, yeah, Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk. I can't remember the last one, but some some big hitters in there, obviously. Yeah, um, all the evil tech geniuses. Right. <laughs> Bezos no longer a CEO, though. He stepped no. down, but right. still. Um, yeah, if I had to pick like a favorite, just like certainly most entertaining has to be Elon, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess one, it depends how you define favorite, yeah. right? favorite being uh, I'd want to invest alongside uh, in that case that I, I, I could get behind that too at the right price. <laughs> yeah. Pabri has pointed out that Elon doesn't seem to really care about money. Like he's not in the, in the game of trying to maximize shareholder value. He's trying to change the world in a sense. Right. So there could be a little bit of a, a misalignment there, but. Well, I would do that. I think this is the problem of business in general in that in a, in a, in an ideal capital capitalist sort of system, the idea is that the bigger the problem, the bigger the payoff, the bigger the problem that you solve, I, sh- I should say. So, sure. so as long as you're focusing on solving the problem, ideally there's a big payoff at the end. Now, there are exceptions and corruption and inefficiency and all that, but uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that those two things are necessarily misaligned. Sure. I guess the other question is who gets the payoff, right? Yeah. If you structure it so that... You know, you get all these these options. The 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 way Elon structured it, it's you know, it's it's questionable how much yeah. of that value is transferring to shareholders versus the the management. But sure, fair. Okay, what else do we see here? Good question. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Who's quick short on, Thor? I got a uh, quick, quick, the, quick quick one on books. yeah books on pre order. So I just got a book. You guys. I got to say this book, I ordered seeking wisdom from Peter Bevelin, not to be confused with seeking value. Uh, Frank's <laughs> <laughs> Frank's podcast. No, they're different. Although I'm sure there's some overlap. Um, this book got to me in less than 12 hours on Amazon. Nice. It, and, and I didn't pay any extra, right? It was part of the prime. So it's almost too fast. It's like, you guys are, you're trying a little too hard. I don't need this until tomorrow. You, so you want to linger a little bit. A little, uh, yeah. Let me, let me anticipate it. a little yeah. bit, you know, so <laughs> it's a good problem to have, I guess, but it's wild. I actually just made a list um, of the, the books I, I want to read at some point. I, I quickly shelled out like 75. <laughs> I just, I just been wow. putting together a proper reading list that I could always just point to and be like, all right, I want to read this one next. Um, I'm about to finish Guns, Germs, and Seal at long last. Wow. Uh, and um, now that I'm commuting more again, so I'm <laughs> making more reading time uh, on the train. Um, and I th- what's after that? Uh, but a buddy at work um, recommended a, a book on enlightenment ideals. Uh, Jonathan Israel wrote a series uh, about called titled like the radical enlightenment. Uh, so it's kind of like a history of ideas, so I might be reading uh, that next since uh, um, he, he lent me the book. So I'll probably be reading that as a partner at the law firm um, who heard I was reading Guns, Germs, and Seal and asked if I was interested in 
that sort of stuff. So I was like, all right, sure. If you recommend it, so that'll probably be next. And then I might get back into, into more like a finance related book after that. Cool. Frank enlightenment. Um, I've got nothing exciting to read. Actually, I'm looking for something new. I've decided I'm going to reread some of Buffett's really old letters. Mm-hmm. Um, I read them a long time ago, but it was before I had a good understanding of investing. I think so. I think I'm going to revisit some of the real old Buffett letters as I was back as far back as I can go. Nice. Have, I, have either of you read a? I think it's Son, Sons of Wichita. Um, I think it's a book about Buffett and someone else in particular. I've seen that that right sons of Wichita. No, sorry, it's about the uh, that's actually about the the Koch brothers. Um, for some reason, for some reason, I thought it was Buffett. <laughs> um, Wichita didn't sound right for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Excuse me, that was a that was a uh, that's a slip. But um, I've I've been seeing that one thrown around for some reason. Um, but anyways, uh. Frank, there's a, um, a book I've been listening to a little bit called Tap Dancing to Work by Carol Loomis. And it's kind of a compilation of articles about Buffett. It includes his uh, big paper on inflation. I think that was written in like 1977 or something like that, how inflation swindles the equity investor. So you might enjoy that. It's kind of moving through time. Nice. Yeah. I do might throw it out there. Does anyone in the comments even know something about Buffett's early days? I want to really look through the when Buffett was doing these more special situation micro cap type investments, less um, kind of famous, looking at the more obscure stuff. But I don't know if there's anything out there that exists that focuses specifically on that. I guess all the um, all the famous books like Snowball kind of touch on it. But yeah, that'd be something I want to come across. I wonder if uh, with the the complete financial history of Berkshire Hathaway, have you kind of paged through that, looking at the early no, years? I haven't. I haven't got my hands on. That's the Adam Mead one, right? Yeah, Adam Mead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that yet. I guess. Yeah, that covers everything. So that might be a good one to start with, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jesse just said that in the chat too. Great minds. <laughs> cool. Thank you again, Jesse. Um, Maybe now's a good time to pivot towards Baba. Dr. Ali Dugar says, how much percentage of portfolio you guys are holding Baba? Um, And if the price keeps declining, what's the max percentage you you would allow despite it continuing to fall, I suppose? So uh, is there kind of a minimum threshold you're looking to keep if it continues to fall? Or or is that not really a consideration? Either way, what, what kind of percentage are we at right now? I'm actually just pulling up my portfolio so I can get it exact for you. Yeah, I I put in 20% at cost when it was like above 200. Uh, And that that was my approach. Like, okay, I'm just going to make a full bet now. I'm not going to chase it down. If if it keeps falling, you know, obviously that wasn't an optimized choice. But I respect it. Who who knows in hindsight, right? Right. But um, yes, I haven't bought on the way down. You know, it's less stings. than 20 now because it's dropped a lot. But it, it honestly, I, I've been trying not to look at it. <laughs> Too bad you're on this show. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it makes it difficult, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it stings, but I, I appreciate the, 
the discipline to stick with the method because yeah. that's the hardest part of any sort of investment strategy. It's the discipline mm-hmm. to stick with it. Right. Frank, what do you got? Uh, 7% it currently is, which okay. I think when I originally made the investment, it was around a 15% bet, I want to guess. Um, but I've added capital to the portfolio since then, and obviously it's down significantly. Um, Maximum-wise, not specifically for Alibaba, but kind of Chinese stocks in general, say maybe 25% of the portfolio is kind of the range I would like to keep it under. It is significantly under that at the moment. I think we're just looking now, the 10 cent process combination is about 8.5%, uh-huh. and then Barber at 7%. So, And that's all you've got in China, right, Frank? Yeah. So theoretically, if I wanted to add to the position, I have no reason not to. Um, other than the fact I want more capital, I'm still building up enough to enter a reasonable size position, but it is incredibly cheap. Um, but yeah, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty uncertainty in that as well. So I don't want to over allocate to Alibaba. Uh, Baba is right now about three and a half percent of the portfolio. So I, I think at its if you based on that my cost basis, it's about a five percent bet, um, but down to three three and a half or so now. I think my I think my cost base is around one uh, one forty or one thirty ish. Um, so and now it's <laughs> below ninety. So uh, about three and a half percent right now of my. Did you tax. have? Did what was your thinking on the five percent allocation? If I can have- it's sort of sort of similar to to Frank's in that I don't want too much exposure to to China, just given its sort of unique risks that I'm not not. I'm not as comfortable to say like, all right, let's make this 20% of the portfolio tomorrow. Um, plus I like having, um, I like having a little bit more. And there is also this issue with Baba in general, just being a large cap, uh, a large cap company. And that, that limits some of your upside. I know that Frank, that's a big reason you, you look a lot at smaller micro caps, kind of less liquid, um, ideally a bigger runway for growth um, because you're starting with a smaller basis. Uh, so that's part of the hesitation though. That's not a huge issue. Um, for example, I'm adding to Facebook as well, which has the same sort of problem in that it's a half a trillion dollar company. So uh, how much can you really grow from that point compared to say a uh, hundred million dollar company that could 10 X quote unquote easier and more easily than a, than a uh, like turtle million. beach, for example. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, uh, that that's kind of my thinking there and that I don't want to just fill it up with mega caps, especially because my retirement funds are an in index funds that have plenty of large caps, making up a huge portion of them just based on their market share. So I, I that's kind of how I justified in my head and that I don't want to go too heavy, um, Unless it's just a screaming deal, which Baba certainly seems like a very nice deal, so that's why it's in my portfolio. But uh, that, that's probably why I don't want to go far above, say, maybe ten percent of the portfolio. If I had to put like an arbitrary sort of limit on it. Cool. I just saw a comment um, regarding that Buffett thing I brought up. The early Buffett days, SC said, "Hit up Andrew Kuhn for a five k." page Buffett master PDF something from inception to 2018 um, I just opened that up uh, if you don't know Andrew Kuhn he hosts a great podcast with Jeff Gannon um, two super smart guys they run a fund called focus compounding um, same name for the podcast 
super smart guys. They focus on small illiquid securities. Um, it's probably my favorite pod- investing podcast, um, but I, I didn't know that existed. So thanks for that one. Um, I just pulled it up and I'll definitely be reading through that. Nice. Thank you, SC. Um, what else on Baba? How, how do we, uh, how do we think of, so we're seeing these big systemic issues, especially with the, the, the Russia Ukraine situation. Uh, we're seeing a lot of financial sanctions, not just against the country of Russia, but also against individuals. Um, and a lot of financial institutions literally pulling out uh, of, of Russia, for example, and just those sorts of issues where maybe money gets locked up, money gets taken out, you get like a liquidity crisis of sorts. Um, it, and I know a lot of investors are thinking about that with China as well, with potential future conflicts with anyone, whether it be the U.S. or, or whatever. Um, does, that weigh, does that weigh on your decision at all with how you allocate towards Alibaba or Tencent or really any Chinese company um, with this recent conflict in Russia? Does that, does that change the game fundamentally for you guys? Um, I try to ignore it. I try to focus on the fundamentals, I guess, the actual business and ignore the unknowable macro considerations. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have to think about it, and it is a risk factor, but it's an unknowable risk factor. Um, I guess just to push back slightly when it comes to, I guess, foreign kind of intervention and invading other countries, America and Russia have done that in the past 20, 30 years. China haven't done any of that whatsoever. The only risk, I guess, would be Taiwan, but um, it, it's unlikely, I think, to have some real major event. Not to say there won't be these smaller things over time, but they they always exist as a risk, I guess. But um, I wouldn't expect it to be in a situation like Russia right now. And even if it was, it's so unknowable and unpredictable that I don't think it's worth considering too much. It's just part of that downside risk. Yeah, yeah, I, I second that. But, you know, I'll, I'll note, you know, people are going to extrapolate what's happening in Russia and Ukraine to, to all kinds of different markets. and. Right get carried away with the perceived risk. And and when that happens, you know, there can be great opportunities to, to buy below value. So uh, I think people tend to overshoot uh, when it comes to, to that. So that's, I just wanted to add that. So maybe it's a welcome thing <laughs> for, wow. for, for, for someone looking to make a dollar. <laughs> no, yeah. we don't like conflict here. Um, no, but yeah, I, it's it's like peak fear right now and right. a lot of in a lot of spots so well we don't know if it's peak yet well, yeah of course it's <laughs> a peak uh, a, a uh, an all-time high uh, or uh, a 52 week high in fear how about that sure <laughs> it, 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 comes, it comes and goes um i i wonder i i do think that might be what's causing a good a good bit of this recent alibaba sell off granted it kind of just has been always selling off since since Charlie Munger bought in pretty much um his initial purchase that is so i but there has been a pretty significant drop recently and I wonder if that's if that has anything to do with it. I haven't looked too closely at other Chinese stocks and I wonder if it's following I kind think- of in line with that. That's more related to the delisting fees that kind of come up again with the mm-hmm. um, recent changes on the SEC website. Um, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to understand this more than I actually do. But they listed five 
Chinese listed ADRs that were a potential delisting and there was changes kind of around the regulations around audits on their financial statements. Mm. Um, and I think it's something like a if they consistently don't report in a certain way for a three-year time period, then there's right. a risk of being delisted. They didn't mention Alibaba, but I think just the the fact that it was brought up in the news again. The um, sentiment. Investors, yeah. Did you catch but, how close those companies are to being delisted, like where they're at in that three-year time frame or, or no? No, no idea. There's also yeah. rumors that the three-year time frame will be decreased down to two years, but regardless, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that's a huge concern for Alibaba. Um, I don't think, like they want that capital from investors in America. So I don't think, well, international investors in general, I guess, I don't think they'd be stupid enough to do that. And worst case, if it happened, you would have the option just to switch to the Chinese listing in Alibaba anyway. Um, but, of course, there would be a huge effect in share price in that type of event. I just don't think it would happen. It's sort of on that note, is there a price where Baba is a, is a no-brainer, says Jacob. If the if it continues to fall... It offers a bigger multi-bagger than a two three x. Of course, the law of big numbers. Um, is there like a is there, Brad? I think this is a good question for you since you, you <laughs> say you started with it with your full position. What well, what if it halves <laughs> from here? Well, like well, surely you got to be a little bit interested as long as nothing fundamental is. If if Baba different. becomes a small cap, I start to get very interested very quickly. Sure. So, so uh, that, that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty rough <laughs> for current shareholders. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right now, valuation wise, I think Alibaba's projected revenues are around 155 billion roughly for next year. Um, so they're at a price to free cash, cash flow multiple of around nine times. And if you back out cash, that's like seven times free cash flow. So I don't know how much cheaper it can get regardless of the risk involved. Seven times free cash flow for a company like Alibaba is pretty insane. Even Um, if you're a private shareholder, if it gets delisted (laughs) or something, you're taking off the public markets. So if it halves, then you're looking at 3.5 times cash flow. That's free cash flow. That's insane and a definite no-brainer at that price. But um, I don't know. I think it's been a no-brainer for a while almost, but. I'm willing to take on more risk than most people. So it's not for everyone. Yeah. It does depend on your kind of your, what your threshold is. Um, that goes for anyone. Yeah. I saw a comment about Occidental Petroleum. Have you guys dug into that at all? Seeing that Berkshire Hathaway was buying in, it's, it's really there not in my, lots in of my people buying into oil right now. Yeah. That, have you been paying attention to that, Jack? What are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, a, f- a fair bit, uh, just, Commodities in general, they've been kind of one of the, my one saving grace in my portfolio. I have a mm. decent exposure to mainly metals of so copper, uh, uranium is in there, uh, a lot of gold and gold miners. Um, and that, that that has served me well in the last few weeks, whereas pretty much everything else has not. <laughs> so right. a lot of people are, especially with this Russian conflict, Russia has massive natural resources that it sells to the world. And if that gets cut off, the U.S. and parts of Europe are are cutting themselves off from Russian energy assets. And that would imply that uh, Europe or the U.S. is going to get their energy from somewhere else. And when that happens, you have the same amount of demand but less supply. And therefore, whoop, up goes commodity prices, like oil in particular. So 
it it strikes me as a much shorter term sort of play. And by short, I mean maybe a year or two. Obviously, depends on how long the conflict goes, what happens after the conflict, do sanctions remain. So it's inherently a bit speculative, but especially in a high inflationary environment, you could see the appeal to something like a commodity while you're waiting to deploy your capital towards something else. In the meantime, ride up the commodities while the dollar goes down or whatever currency goes down relative to the commodities. So you can see the appeal, but it is kind of a different game uh, that I'm, I can't say I'm an expert on, um, but you could, you could definitely see why uh, some of these commodity companies or even the commodity itself can, can look pretty attractive right now. Do you know, Jack, where your uranium holding is, is domiciled? I, I think it's Kazatomprom that's a pretty big uranium producer in Russia. I think it's in Russia. It's, uh, uh, I don't know where, it, where uranium is found. It's actually, it's actually just an ETF, so it's a bunch of uranium. Oh, miners. it's an ETF. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I forget the ticker, but I'm, I'm getting it right now. Um, I think it's just URA. Uh, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, URA, Global X Uranium ETF. And I think it's a pretty broad mix, but let me actually pull up the actual prospectus and I'll get you an answer. Ooh, you're going all in. Oh, where is it? Talk about something else while I find this. (laughs) Yeah, so so Jesse thinks Buffett's going to talk about maxims to think analytically, which is a book on the... The thinking of of Richard, I think it's Richard Zeckhauser, who's a Harvard professor. Uh, and I remember Charlie making reference to Zeckauer, Zeckhauser at one point, how how Zeckhauser thinks about playing bridge or something like that. I guess he has a lot of respect for for Zeckhauser. So I do have that book um, on hold at the library. So I'm excited to check that out. And and with that intermission, <laughs> thank you, Brad. Hey, here are the top holdings in URA, the Uranium Miners Fund. Doesn't um, say where they're uh, located. But that's all right. No, Canadian. I, I, I'm well, assuming. sort of where they're listed, at least. Oh, yeah, not where their activities are, most likely. Yeah. Um. So a little top heavy here, but otherwise pretty pretty much all over the place. Okay. Um, cool. Do you guys know where that news on Occidental Petroleum came out? I actually missed that completely. How do we know that Buffett's buying that? I, yeah. I saw. I saw. I mean, we all saw Chevron, but that was it, that was last it was, quarter. It was in Data Roma under the Real Time tab. If you want to go to that, Jack. Um, and then, do we have an idea of when that was happening? Because I'm just curious. Because the stock's up. It's been a double since the start of the year. Which is yeah, it gives the dates. It was on the fourth and the eleventh were the, the so buying. did he file a thirteen G or something? Because if he put five billion in, that's nearly ten percent of the company. Is that how it came out? Uh it, it probably was. I think they probably own more than five percent of the company or ten percent, whatever it is. Here you At go. The, yeah, okay. So over the last uh couple of weeks. Yeah. So it was Last three week, times really. free cash flow at the start of the year. Now it's six times free cash flow. So has it really shot up over the last week? Um, let me have a look. It's, it's more so over the course of the year. This week, not so much. This is a pretty significant amount. No, we're talking. Is it a few billion? No. If I'm reading, wonder, if, my, if I'm reading this correctly, per, I wonder what percent increase that is. 
Well, they said oh, yeah, four point well, five billion in the chat. Like, yeah, that's that's a pretty big swing uh, by uh, Berkshire standards. Yeah, just over the last what two, two weeks. weeks, it's up fifty percent. What's so, the, what's the market cap of Occidental? Just over fifty billion. Yeah, fifty so billion. Big chunk of the company right there. Yeah. So that's likely the first actual Buffett swing in a while. Yeah, I would guess. Well, he bought Chevron, I think, in the fourth quarter, right? That, that was that was pretty small though compared to this. Added to Chevron. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how big that was. It's hard to know. I, I, it's hard to know what Buffett's actually doing. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty unknowable, but I would like to think it's only the really big moves in the portfolio. And then it's hard to think about that as well because Apple's so much of the portfolio that mm-hmm. relative everything seems small. So yeah, right. well, and I I always just try to compare it to like the cash pile of like well over a hundred billion, one hundred fifty billion, we'll call it. Um, that's that's kind of like my measuring stick. It's like how much of that are they deploying? Uh, granted, they're always going to have a a lot of that set aside for uh, insurance float, but uh, I think that might be the better way to kind of measure how big the, the conviction is though. It's such a gigantic fund at this point. <laughs> it's a little bit hard, but yeah, I think this is the biggest since the dominion energy deal hmm. from a while back where they bought all the, the gas rights. So, Sandeep saying 17% position by Berkshire. I don't know how that mass works out. He says 9% recent, so these last two weeks, and 8% old existing via rights. So they must have warrants or something, or even options, <laughs> um, probably warrants. Just looking through ownership on ticket now, it's yeah. got Berkshire at 3%. Right. That may have been which- before this recent buy. Possibly. Oh, yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah, interesting anyway. Um, I don't understand oil and commodities enough to make a big bet. If I was to do anything like that, it would be a basket bet of a handful of companies. But um, it would just take so much work for me to get comfortable to allocate any capital towards an oil company or any commodity company, really. Uh, And that's not to say it doesn't work out. I think it's probably a great space to be looking in. It's just not a space I understand well. Um, So I don't know. And in any event, it's always tied to the price of the commodity, which is difficult to predict long-term and even short-term, arguably harder short-term, because look look what just happened. Well, oil was trending up, but look what happened just in a couple of weeks with this with this conflict opening up. Now it's skyrocketing um, among many other commodities as well. So, and it could easily pull back if we get news about sanctions being lifted or, or whatever. Uh, so, so it's not as though things are set in stone, not by any means. It looks like Buffett did a CNBC interview recently that uh, Jesse has on his page about uh, Occidental Petroleum. So. Could be one to look at if you're interested. Yeah. Shall we uh, talk a little bit about more, anything more on Baba? I'm scanning questions here. Or should we uh, talk a moment about Facebook? Because that I is also... Can, I think we can wrap on Baba. Yeah, what do you guys... Uh, you know, I, I will say I was at Costco recently. You know, 
supporting the incredible business that is Costco. <laughs> of course. And they have a whole they had a whole display for Quest Quest 2 which I believe is really um, Oculus right from Facebook. Yeah. So that was cool to see Costco kind of part Facebook partnering with Costco to move some product at $400 hmm. a pop. I wonder how that's doing. <laughs> yeah. Your, your bargain discount on, on virtual reality headsets. Yeah. Well, what's the retail, what's the normal price for those? Do you guys know? It can't, it can't be much different. Yeah. I'm not sure though. Quest two. What's the newest quest? Is it quest two? Looks like it. Uh, Oculus themselves sells the Quest 2 for $400. So that sounds there you about, go. about the same. So wholesale prices, I suppose. Same as Oculus. Walmart sells them for $400. So. There you have it. Uh, but yeah, what have you guys uh, seen on Facebook? I don't even know what the price is. Uh, last I saw it was around 200 it's uh, below 190 now. I think it's mid 180s. I think as of end of today, okay. I, I haven't checked since the morning. Uh, uh, Frank, I know you did a recent sort of updated valuation video, just kind of going through some potential scenarios. Focused a lot on the their buybacks that they that they would um, theoretically be doing. Um, has has your conviction changed at all as it continues to fall in price? Um, well, I'm currently doing a write-up for my newsletter as well, so I am diving pretty deep into Facebook at the moment. Subscribe. Only, <laughs> only in the early stages for that still, but it's just the ads business is great. I, I don't think – I think definitely that's been undervalued by the market at the moment. Like it's not going to disappear. There's obviously increased competition for the amount of time spent on these apps and even within the Facebook community or the family of apps for Meta – People are spending more time on something like Reels where it's hard to advertise. So definitely it's going to be a difficult time period for over the next five to 10 years and probably forever now for Facebook. But I don't think it's going to disappear. I think it's still going to be a very cash-generative business, arguably one of the most cash-generative businesses ever to exist. It's crazy, um, like 35% operating margins or something, growing at 40% roughly over the last 10 years. It's an insane business model, but the main question is around the virtual reality, augmented reality space, which is probably unknowable. I don't know where I'll end up on that by the time I kind of finish my research in the month. I, I don't think I'll buy Facebook because it is somewhat unknowable, but overall, like more broadly on augmented reality and virtual reality, I think it is likely that this is the next mobile phone or computer. I think it's going to be a very regular part of our lives in the future. But whether or not it's Facebook that wins that space, I just I don't know how to understand that well enough. Um, I, I guess if you're looking just before the iPhone come out, no one would have predicted that an iPhone would be as successful as, as it is. And then I guess before computers or more specifically laptops were so so much a part of the daily day-to-day life for everyone on the planet, really, um, I guess in first world countries. No one would really know that's coming. And I guess no one really knows what's next, but the general direction I think has to be towards virtual or augmented, augmented reality or a combination of the two. 
I think Facebook or Meta are spending the most capital in that space. They're going to have competitors with, I guess, Google, Microsoft, um, maybe Apple, things like that as well. But, yeah, to know who wins and how profitable and the margins and everything is so unknowable and it's such a big change in business model. I guess it's more of a hardware logistics business then if they start to win this with, say, Oculus with the Quest or whatever it is. Um, So it's very hard to predict what that looks like. And there's a lot of capex and a lot of research and development going towards it. So it does hurt that ads business. Um, But I don't think the ads business is going to disappear. So if you buy Facebook, I think you have to write off to almost a zero. The kind of reality labs business has been unknowable unless you're an expert in that, I guess. And then you're then valuing the actual ads business and seeing whether that's worth more than the current market price. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Just, I think a J- Jason um, in a previous episode, our after dinner investor friend, uh, mentioned that this is almost like a VC play, like venture capital. It's much more speculative. You don't really know what's going to happen, but if it does pay off, it'll pay off pretty handsomely. Uh, and so you can't really assume that that's going to happen because there is a ton of risk. So I would definitely agree with you, Frank, that. Uh, it's really more about focusing on that ads business that's really throwing off all the cash right now. And if they burn a bunch of cash towards this, uh, this experiment, then so be it. So you want to get it at a price where that would make sense. Uh, if, if you're trying to build in the sort of margin of safety there, um, I think a bigger question that a lot of people might have is what about shrinkage? They, they haven't sh- shrunk, uh, their cash flow any, any time recently, but if their user base shrinks at all, or somehow they, can't grow revenues anymore or something happens like that where, where the growth just flat out stops. Not saying that's likely, but could happen since they are, they're already at like 3 billion or whatever users. They can only get so many on the planet. <laughs> um, how many more avenues are there outside of just the ads business to actually grow that? Uh, so, I, so I guess within that, it's the increasing kind of dollars per user in the rest yeah. of the world type markets. Like I know the Asian Pacific region is very under monetized compared to something like North America. Mm-hmm. So there is room for um, growth in cash flows, I guess, but the top line figure of daily active users or monthly active users, I don't see how it can get any higher. It's something like 30% of the world's population as it is. And then if you put that into, I guess, between 16 to 50 year olds, I guess would be kind of the main users, then it's probably like 60% of the population or over half anyway. So there's not much room for growth on that top figure, but it's whether or not they can continue to increase those cash flows. But more importantly, even if they can keep it flat would be a win for Facebook, I think. If they can keep generating roughly $37 billion in free cash flow, then they'll do absolutely fine. They could just pay that out to shareholders and it would be a great in um, investment. So I don't know. It's a that, hard that, one to wrap my head around. It, you want to get it at the price where it's a, a heads I win, tails I don't lose much in that if they can just be stagnant, if the if the metaverse stuff is a complete wash, you're still coming out with a decent return uh, long term. Right. I think that's the real goal here. Uh, yeah, for, for anyone interested in Facebook, <coughs> I enjoyed the conversation between Monish Pabrai and the uh, – some zero CEO Divya Narendra. Divya's so the one where been, you said there's a double. Yeah. yeah so Pabrai yeah. thinks 
you know, Facebook is an easy double with just the ads business kind of maintaining, maybe growing 10% over the, the next three years. Um, so Pabri's thought was, well, you know, I can see a case where you buy Facebook today and you wait until it doubles and then you reassess the reality labs piece of the business when you have a little bit more, you can see what they've done over the last two or three years while you've gotten that double uh, to figure out if you wanna carry on with um, with reality labs going forward. So, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so I don't necessarily think there's much risk at present prices, even if, you know, the, the reality labs thing falls on its face. Sure. Um, but, you know, that's that's just Pabri's take. <laughs> oh, all we need to happen is another Alibaba episode or just keeps falling for a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Harder and then, to see that happening here. But yeah. I, I would agree. I would agree. It's just given the uh, the country it happens to be based in. Um, that, that seems to be the big difference. <laughs> um but I mean, if the Fed tries to raise rates, I mean, we, we oh, yeah. could really still be in the very early innings of blood in the streets. So I, I'd agree. I would definitely agree there. That's all speculation. I, I, I can't say I'd be surprised if it halved from here, just based on sentiment alone. Yeah. Yeah. Even if nothing fundamentally changes, I would not. And really, you can't. I, I guess you can't really be surprised if that happens to any stock, uh, just because the short term is can be just so wild, just based on sentiment and. Yeah macro factors and things that you never predict. And then they maybe write themselves a few months later. Just it can be crazy how fast things happen. And of course I'm remembering back to the kind of the bottom of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. March, 2020, where <laughs> the two it week, felt like the two week it, it crash, felt like it was going to half and half again, right. It was going to keep going down and then boom, it popped. And so many people kind of missed great buying opportunities there. So it's tough, you know, it's really kind of battling the, the psychology, the uh, the um, circuit breakers going off almost daily for a while. That was pretty right. nuts. Multiple times yeah. a day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So who knows? Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Well, Jack, I just shared that spreadsheet with you if you want to pull that up quickly, just to a rough sure. valuation for Facebook of kind of how oh, things could play out. Here we go. Mark uh, flashed, flashed his face for a moment. <laughs> okay, right. what are we looking at here? Go uh, ahead. Facebook DCF. Yeah, yeah. So just looking at, well, one thing I missed in the video um, is that I didn't factor in how much the increase in CapEx would be affecting free cash flow next year. Um, uh-huh. Whether or not that can tributes to kind of owner's earnings, like how much of that is maintenance first, growth capex is hard to know. But on a strictly free cash flow basis, um, some of the assumptions I have here. So if they decline 15% in free cash flow, which I think they're going to spend off the top of my head around $20 billion in capex next year. So if you assume a little bit of growth in operating cash flow and then huge increase in capex, maybe around a 15% decrease then relative to that number, if they don't continue to increase CapEx um, by a significant amount, less anyway, the 15, 10, 8, 5% growth over the next four years following that is still well and truly below the 40% average, I guess, over the past 10 years, not to use historical numbers too much, but relatively this is very low for Facebook. Um, and then I'm assuming $30 billion buybacks every single year 
that's a, a stretch. Like there's no guarantee that happens. They bought $50 billion worth of shares back last year and they still have an approval to spend, I think, 37, 33 maybe off the top of my head. Um, so it's likely they use that while they've just got significantly cheaper. Uh, they paid $50 billion for almost double the share price, so I don't see why they wouldn't do that at this price. I would be concerned if they didn't probably. Um, and then they probably continue buybacks into the future maybe. I, I would like to see that as a capital allocation decision. And then the other assumptions, I guess, are the multiples, which they're currently 13 times price of free cash flow. I can't see it getting much lower unless things get dramatically worse for the company. So yeah. I've assumed a little bit of expansion. Um, I actually put it down for this year since free cash flow is going to drop off. Maybe the multiple drops off a little bit more than it already has, even though that's probably priced in. Um, but that gets you to about a 14% return, which is a reasonable return in that scenario. That's one of many scenarios that could play out, obviously, but... I don't think it's the worst bet to make. If I had a more diversified portfolio and um, I was kind of looking for more market average type returns, I think I would own Facebook at current prices. But um, I'm kind of looking for a much higher hurdle rate at the moment and a, a more concentrated bet. I just can't kind of get there on Facebook at the moment, but are you, I think uh, it's reasonable. Are you increasing your – I know you typically have used something like a 15% hurdle rate have you uh, moved that up at all given just the current volatility and maybe the different opportunities out there yeah i i'm i've bumped it up to the classic 26 percent the triple sorry the double in three years most class classic yeah 26 um and i guess that's just an additional margin of safety as well but sure just after a conversation with a few people tristan wayne being one of them who was the idea of kelly partners group originally as well um, as well as Paul, um, I can't ever pronounce his last name, but I had a podcast with him. He's more of a special situations guy. Um, and the idea of having a higher hurdle rate is appealing to me. One, because it is just a margin of safety, but also having that lower hurdle is kind of leading towards market average returns. Yeah, I'm taking on more risk. So when I take on more risk, these hurdle rates are usually higher for some of the more illiquid companies. The returns can typically be higher, not to say that it plays out the way that I think it will. But, um, yeah, if I, if I kept with the 15% I used to kind of have in my mind, I could be making a lot of investments right now and I don't want to be making a lot of investments. Obviously, some hurdle rates, a 15% hurdle rate for two different companies is different. Like one could have less risk, so maybe the other one's better to make. But for now, I'm running with a higher hurdle rate I'll see how I'm, I change my mind in the future, but I'd like the that 26%. Makes, that makes sense to kind of calibrate your hurdle rate to the environment, right? Because it's all about opportunity cost. And yeah, you want to buy the best thing you can in any given moment. And, and you could argue that maybe before inflation was nearing double digits in, in, in the US at least, maybe you would consider... Uh, it, it, you can almost look at it like, okay, you have 15 is kind of your base case with little inflation. Add, add 7% nominal inflation. Now you're up over 20%. So you could, uh, do, you, do you look at inflation at all when you're tuning your your uh, your um, uh, hurdle rate? Um, not so much. And, and I guess it's not so much a reaction to the environment, but more so um, to my strategy overall. I think yeah. I'll try to keep it at that way 
regardless of what the market is doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I don't think about inflation too much. That's another one of those unknowable things in my mind right. that I'm just like, what do you do? I, I've been considering the actually bumping mine up. I've been kind of rolling on the 15%. Uh, when I'm looking at real estate deals, I try to get 10% cash and cash return, and that's ext- extremely difficult to come by right now. Um, a lot of kind of like 5 to 6% cash and cash deals that, that I've seen in some markets, uh, which is like, it's decent. But at that point, it's like, might as well just buy an okay stock that could get me 10 Twelve percent over the long term. Um, granted, it's a different game. Uh, and you got debt involved that can bump that up. Uh, yep. But I'm considering ra- raising, maybe raising my uh, my my own discount rate for uh, stocks as well. Probably closer to that twenty percent mark for that same reason of margin of safety. And then when you're picking stocks in a more concentrated portfolio, you really need to have some sort of margin somewhere because there's a high chance you're going to be wrong on something. And that could that could really hurt your portfolio in a bigger way. And if you can build in a bigger cushion, of course, that's that's rarely going to hurt. Um, so, <laughs> Jesse says no to cash on cash return. It ignores the time value of money. Well, sure, but you got to start somewhere for year one. <laughs> so, um, and I would be reinvesting that cash, but just kind of a measuring stick. I know IRR is the preferred among uh, most kind of real estate deals if you're holding for say five to ten years. Um, and yeah, there there goes Jesse IRR. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm considering raising mine as well. It's a wild. It's a wild environment. Indeed. Taking a look at some of these questions here. We can get a few more in before we wrap up. Yeah, if anyone has any burning questions, hit up that super chat. <laughs> oh, oh we, we, we got a we got a uh, before before we see any super chats roll through, we got we got some uh Jonathan here telling us that uh what's Jonathan telling us? Jonathan saying, when will we admit everyone on this stream is better off passively <laughs> buying the index? I saw him later in the chat bring uh, up the fact that uh it, Respectfully, Jonathan says he's a fan, a fan of our our, our content, so we appreciate that. Um, yeah, but we didn't but show saying, that one. We're just showing but, this one. But. We're showing this one because it it, it, it is a, it's a good question, um, it, albeit terse. <laughs> um, he he says that <laughs> he says that Warren Buffett recommends this to ninety nine percent of people. Ninety nine percent of people that you should just buy an index. Don't do what I do. Don't do what the big investors do in picking stocks. And many big investors actually ride a lot of in, uh, indices as well. So it sounds as though they don't do that. Um, and he says the average person person should just buy an index. Um, I guess really the ultimate question is is here: Are we the average investor, or are we not? Which is kind of this whole game. Have you guys ever met an average investor? Uh, I'm not sure that I have. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everyone's above average. Every single person. <laughs> uh, but it is a good question. It's a it's a fair question. I talked about it um, recently in one of my videos about my investing strategy, and I I genuinely agree with what he's saying. I think everyone in this chat, probably all of us talking, should probably be invested in the index. Chances are, um, yeah. It's it's unknowable to know whether. Um, in the future, we're right or wrong doing what we're doing. I'm willing to take that risk while I'm younger. That's kind of what I've always said. What The older I get, the more money I have in my portfolio, 
the safer I'll play in my investments. I'll diversify. I'll become more defensive. I won't invest the way I do right now forever. It's just at the point I can save a significant amount of my portfolio each year, maybe around 30% or so each year relative to my portfolio value. So I can afford to lose a lot of money at the moment. When I'm 40, that's different. When I'm 50, um, that's very different again. So it, it it's hard to say well, I'm going to outperform the market. I have a feeling that I might be able to just outperform, um, taking the few advantages that retail investors can. But I don't know whether that plays out. And I think definitely I agree with most people should just buy an index and be done with it. My thought to this, um, like it definitely takes it takes some arrogance to, to go for it. Uh, and it's frustrating because you'll never know if you're actually right until 20 years from now or more. <laughs> and that, that's the frustrating part. It's very hard to, you can look at past data and, but past data doesn't indicate future performance. So that it just, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I always think, why not just do both? Especially if you're worried about this sort of thing, I think you should be worried about it in some capacity, have kind of like an insurance portfolio and if you can't afford to build up an insurance portfolio, find a way to to do it, boost your income, focus on that first, perhaps. Um, and and if if you want to stock pick, but you're worried about this, consider just putting a portion towards ind- indices and ride that. I, like that's what my retirement accounts are. If if I fail at everything in real estate and stocks uh, for my own picks, I should have something broad index funds to fall back on. Um, it won't be as lavish as if everything went well, but at least there's something there. So th- that's kind of my thinking on it. It's how I sleep at night, I guess. <laughs> um, and also similar to you, Frank, be, being, uh, I, I definitely look at future earnings. W- w- while we're young, it, it's a big uh, it's a big advantage in that you can take bigger swings and misses um, because you have time to make it up. You have earnings that you can bring in to uh, replenish that portfolio that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I will point to the article on, I mean, obviously in hindsight, this is clear, but the article that um, I think it's called Imitation is the Sincerest Form of Flattery, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you had cloned Buffett's public equity investments over 30 years, you'd kind of double the returns of the market. Um, so, you know, I still think there's opportunity to identify um, certainly to do your own work if you know you have a lot of time and, and energy to devote to that, but also to really just identify who are the outstanding investors of our time and see what they're buying. You know, it's it's all out there in 13F filings, assuming they have a big enough fund, and try to reverse engineer. You know, it's it's a game that, that we get to play if we want to and try to reverse engineer why they bought these things and Try it, and like like uh, Frank said, if you're young enough, it's not there's not huge stakes in terms of trying when you're young, and then realizing, okay, I probably don't have what it takes to do this, and just being an index investor from then on out. But it, it wasn't think, a, it was never about the gains; it was about the friends we made along the way. Is that what this is about? Is that why we're doing this, Jack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I actually hesitate in the sense that. When I play more defensively, whether I actually buy ETFs or indexes specifically, because I enjoy the research, I I enjoy everything about investing. I like following these 
investors. I like meeting people. I like researching companies. So I'll probably just buy 20 to 30 stocks, which essentially is an index. If you, well, 30%, right. 30 stocks is the same as an index statistically. So um, as long as you don't kind of cram into one industry, I guess would affect that. But that's probably what I'll do to be more defensive. And that's probably what most people should do. That would still leave you with a chance of outperforming the market, assuming you can find 30 really good companies. I don't know that I could, but um, yeah, that's probably what I'd do to be more defensive. But the average investor, well, firstly, the average investor isn't what we're doing, I guess. The no. average investor is more diversified and they do own kind of more growthier names, particularly over the past 10 years or so. They're not concentrated investors focusing on smaller liquid companies internationally, um, so that's the advantages that I kind of like to focus on with the hopes of outperforming. But yeah, I do I do think most people listening to me probably should be, including myself, should be invested in indexes or more diversified. You guys heard it here first. And just to be clear, I think it's, it's a little misleading when you say passively investing in an index because there are decisions to make. Uh, most investors who think they're being passive underperform the market because you know they pile in when everybody's excited about the stock mm-hmm. market and they pull out when everybody's running away. So there's still, you know, you still got to master yourself to some extent in terms That's of well said. making emotional, not making emotional decisions. So it's not completely passive, but there, there's less less to um grapple with for sure going that that's route. right that's right on that's it i actually have oh, sorry go, go ahead no go frank i just have a guy that i work with um and he's invested in a couple of different etfs um, an australian one an s&p 500 one but um he always talks to me about how he's real concern right now and he wants to sell and I just I have to reassure him almost every day I feel like it's just hold him just it's, he's only been doing it for about two years and I'm like this that's not the game you're playing right now just particularly the index yeah. these indexes need to be even more like do nothing like right that's right. it this is a that's 30 the whole 40 point. year it's, the yeah, whole point. It, it's um it, even like I guess Brad all of us we try to be a little bit like do nothing but in investing in indexes is more so like don't look at it just put certain amount every single week, month, whatever it is, and look at it in 30, 40 years. And try to grow with the world. And, (laughs) you know, there may be some benefit to putting 90% of it in an index and then tinkering with 10. So you can actually do something, right? You can do something with the 10% and let the 90. To activate the lizard brain. That's it. (laughs) Must do activity. Just get it engaged in something. There is something to be said there. Tunism just said, if you can pick 30 above average picks, doesn't that mean you beat the market? Yeah, exactly. That's what I would try to do if I was <laughs> being defensive. That's the, you if might you not love get all 30, that, right? right no. You might not get all Exactly. 30. But if you enjoy what you do and you want to be safe and conservative, you don't want to lose money, then it's to try and find 30, 25 to 30 above average stocks. If you want to outperform, you should probably look for 5 to 10. Um, and that's... The lower you go in concentration, the more likely you are to outperform or underperform. So it goes both ways. If owning five to ten stocks is either a great thing or a terrible thing. There's no right. market average return with that. 
Well, chances are low, at least. Chances are low, yeah. The range <laughs> is there the is a chance bigger. to be exactly the same, obviously. That would be, a, yeah. that would be frustrating. You go through the, the, the return on brain damage <laughs> of having five holdings, and you end up getting the same uh, same as, uh, as as just buying an index and calling it a day. Not the worst I, I just realized we got a super chat from, from Jason. It didn't pop up for me, for, I think, because I'm scrolled up in the chat. Um, I purposely ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> well he uh he got us at that buck 99 discount um amazing deal thank you uh will will you buy navios the, the one he pitched at the end of our last episode or Quapang? um or coupon is it coupon that's how i was told it was pronounced i, I i've never pronounced it that way so well, there you I'll, go I'll, I'll take your Coup- word for it coupon the amazon <laughs> of korea it's probably coupon, but who knows? Our our, our anglicized pronunciation. Of what, one of my Twitter followers spelled it out for me, so it helped. All me right, out I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take uh, I'll take your word um, for it then. I'm in for neither. How about you guys? Well, um, coupon. No, I looked at that very quickly a long time ago. I'm just pulling up. What put you off on on coupon? Just out of curiosity, Frank. Uh, I don't even remember. There was a huge, there was a huge um, buy by someone in the 13F. Is that right? Or like, yeah. They, Jack, well, Jack and Miller bought it. I think somebody else bought it. But it's, it's essentially just a crappy Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I might eat those words so hard one day because I don't understand the company. <laughs> I don't it's understand just, it. It's going to go to the moon and Frank <laughs> buys like, Amazon. Ah. Literally buys Amazon. <laughs> I don't remember why, but it was a three minute quick pass for me. It was, yeah. I didn't look into it. I saw, looked through some of the numbers on ticker and that was it. So maybe I'm missing something huge and I probably am, but um, yeah, that's not one that sparked my interest. And I just pulled up, pulled up Navius Maritime Partners. That seems more interesting. I guess it's trading at like two times earnings or something. I guess that is why Jason was interested. I know he pitches the one times PE. He really likes that idea. Um, and they just had some huge amount of growth. So there's a lot of things I don't know. And this is kind of me admitting that I didn't watch your episode last week. <laughs> yeah, that, um, the, the general pitch is that uh, depending on how you value the the the, the ships, um, which are dependent on the actual price of containers and, and like contain, container shipping prices are through the roof right now. Um, because of that, the ship values are also really high, and and you can make an argument that they're trading for well below the actual uh, liquidation value, I guess you could say, of the of these of their fleet. So uh, the question it's such is such a boom and bust industry. Though. Yeah, I mean, right. Those ships so, are going to be scrapped in two or three years. Why <laughs> did why did revenues triple last year? I from being I, flat from ages. I believe it's just because shipping prices have have skyrocketed, and I, I want to say they had like a couple ships offline or something. For a moment, I I don't remember exactly, so don't quote me. Um, I'm going completely off of what Jason told me <laughs> and told us uh, at the, on the last stream. Um, but it was it was a good pitch. Um, I I just haven't I haven't had time to take a look at really anything over this last week uh, in any real detail. Um, but I have thought of it a couple times. Like oh, I wonder if that's worth taking a look at. Uh, sort of I guess sort of related to kind of like the commodity spike. Uh, maybe there's a way to ride this for a while. Uh, but I think Jason was saying that they're they're planning on not doing high dividends. They're going to kind of hoard the dividends, and I think that's kind of a a big appeal when you're riding like a commodity cycle, or in this case, like a shipping cycle, if that's a thing. Um, 
in that you want to get your, your capital out quickly uh, so that you get your returns that way. Uh, but I mean, there, there's, you can make an argument to not do that. But again, I'm really speaking as a layman here. I'm just <laughs> going again off what Jason was really saying. Uh, Jonathan he, gave us a super chat, guys, just for, well, for spending well, the time. Well, thank you, Jason. Uh, and, and anything else here? Now, I guess from a very quick glance, and this is me not hearing the pitch or anything, the appeal would be a special dividend after a huge boost in sales and free cash flow that otherwise they were an unprofitable company. They were at the bottom of a cycle, I guess. How long can they maintain current prices? Um, maybe a while, I don't know, but I would want to see that get forked out to shareholders pretty quick and then it would be appealing. It'd be some huge yield, I don't know. I have to run the numbers, but anything that cheap could go extremely well or it could do absolutely nothing. So I don't know. Oh, uh, that was the same Jonathan who, uh, who asked us a question yep. about, about Jonathan. the index. So thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Glad, glad we uh, gave you a satisfactory answer and <laughs> we appreciate your support. And cloning the 199, that's, uh, that's clever. <laughs> a, bold, a bold move. Clon- cloning Jason's index. Of, of super chats. All right. Any last? Uh, any yeah, last man. burning? Oh, hey, the man. Oh, hey. one. <laughs> he, he he he's doubling down like 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 uh, like Charlie Munger right now. Oh, tripling <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. We Thank you, Jonathan. It. <laughs> I mean, just, can we end with the, the Zuck I imagine we will I, I imagine we'll we have will. to I gotta find uh, the actual picture in my uh... <laughs> um, I guess we can end with that maybe one more question and, and then we can call it a day if Jonathan has a question we could prioritize that uh, Jonathan you've earned another question if you'd like to um, take a look real quick here SC said something like, I'm 10 minutes behind. I'm kicking the index's ass over a three-year rolling return, Jonathan. No thanks. I'm going to swing. There we go. Um, we got to get we gotta get SC on eToro <laughs> so we can, we can clone him. So I feel like I have the same kind of bias there, I guess. Like I've had great three-year returns as well. I talked to SC outside of this, and he's even better than mine too. So um, it's easy to have that bias where I think I can do this forever, but realistically I probably can't. Um. But hopefully you're right, SC, and hopefully I am too, and maybe one day we'll be very rich. And I think SC has one word for everyone. Like, what was it where the one word was plastics? It was some movie. I have one word for you, plastics. <laughs> for SC, I believe it's lumber. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so. he, 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 he fills the discord with plenty of lumber content, and it's great. He's got a, he's got a woody for wood. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um. That's, I think that's a great way to end it, actually. Right? Well, not we know how we're going to end. That that wasn't it. We still have uh, we got a shot here to show. Yes. Um, so with that said, everyone, we appreciate all the people who stopped by today. We, we had a pretty pretty dense uh, audience today, and, and in a good way. I mean, dense numbers wise. So <laughs> we're loose here in the chat. Not we're not dense here. <laughs> um, uh, so thanks for stopping by. Be sure to smash that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss future live streams. We try to go live around this time every week, though, uh, with daylight savings coming up in the U.S. I don't know if that's going to throw things off for people not in the U.S. Um, 
well, stay tuned for that. It'll be around this time, plus or minus an hour, <laughs> um, uh, starting next week. Um, check out all the links in the description, including the Discord, share site, and uh, we also uh, kind of mention the merch shop every now every now and again, uh, where we can get some punch card and shameless cloning merch that Quran has put together. So check that out too. Uh, Supports the Dakshana Foundation. Yes, it does. Um, but with that said, let's. Uh, Let's let's sign off here with once again our 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 very own. He really wants you to invest in his company that continues to fall more and more each day. Is it, value, wow. is it a value opportunity? Tongue. Is it a value trap? The world may never know, but you're investing in this guy, and if you want to do that, then it's a great opportunity. All right, this is not financial advice. Not at all. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>